Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. My name is Logan, and you are listening to LV's Music Corner. On this episode of LV's Music Corner, we are joined by David T. Garden, who is a drummer. David has worked with Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, including albums such as Nine Tonight and Against the Wind. It was great to have David on here, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. This is David Teagarden on LV's Music Corner. Today I'm joined by David Teagarden. He's a drummer probably most famous for his work with Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, but he's also worked with Joe Walsh a little bit, and he even had his own band called Tea Garden and Van Winkle. David is here with us this morning. So, David, how are we doing? Well, we're doing okay. And I might uh, say that uh, the band Tea Garden and Van Winkle was formed quite a long time before I joined uh, Bob Seeger in the Silver Bullet Band, but uh, and sad to say that uh, Van Winkle passed away. Skip Van Winkle Nepay passed away oh, about two years ago. And uh, but anyway, but other than that, I'm doing fine. That's a good thing. So, David, uh, let's talk about growing up just a little bit. Uh, you've been a Tulsa native your whole life, right? Yes, born and raised in Tulsa. Uh, and uh, my father passed away six months before I was born, so I never knew him, but I had an older brother and older sister. My brother at the time of my birth was 17 years old. And my sister was 12. And uh, luckily for me, I had a hardworking mother who worked to support all of us. And uh, my brother and sister were quite influential musically to me. My uh, brother uh, went to... Tulsa University on a music scholarship. He was a trombone player. And my sister went to Holy Family High School or school uh, where she was uh, heavy into music, piano and choir and such. And through my brother and sister were quite heavily influenced musically with their musical taste and uh, so I guess that I got the bug quite early yeah <laughs> and uh, pursued all of it with a passion for a very long time and uh, later as I got older First started out with just snare drum, and then added a bass drum, and hi-hat, and cymbals, and, and uh, 
started playing with some guys around town that, that would play at different people's houses at parties. That progressed. So then all of a sudden I was playing nightclubs while, when I was 16, 17, and had the pleasure to meet people like J.J. Kale and I didn't meet Leon Russell till many years later because he had left Tulsa early on to pursue his career, which he did, of course, quite successfully in doing studio work in Los Angeles. And uh, I don't know. I don't know where we'd go from there. <laughs> it's a long sordid story <laughs> so yeah you graduated high school and uh you know what what are some of these places you're playing at around tulsa back in the day well different clubs that i don't remember the names of. you know there's such a turnover in nightclubs over the years but uh we played several nightclubs around tulsa and uh and of course, I stayed pretty close friendship with uh, all the likes of uh, JJ Kale and Don White and uh, Larry Bell and God, just Gene Cross and Rockets. Just tons of people that I had played with. And Several years later, I was able to meet Leon Russell when he came back to Tulsa for a visit. He he invited me to come live at his house in L.A. or in Hollywood because he had a studio in his in his house, and that was a rare item for people back then. And I jumped at the chance. It was kind of a mystique going that I was really into electronics and such. I wasn't so much, but I was into recorders for sure. And uh, I ended up living at Leon's house for, oh, the better part of a year. Wow. And uh, every day... He'd leave about 10 in the morning to go do sessions at all the big studios. And J.J. Kale would arrive about the time Leon was leaving, and I'd help. I'd work kind of as Kale's assistant through the day. We did that every day. Wow. That was about the time he recorded the original version of After Midnight. And then uh, uh, somebody, a, a guy that Leon had aligned himself with, a guy named Snuff Garrett, who was an A&R guy from uh, Liberty Records. Uh, we got a, 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 well, I'm getting all confused here, but... Uh, they talked 
after Leon and Snuff Garrett talked J.J. Kale into releasing after midnight, and uh, then Kale asked me and my buddy Skip Nepay, who was later Van Winkle, to uh, we recorded a song. He said, "I need a song for the B side." For after midnight, we, we cut a song. I think it was called Slow Motion, and Kale then turned that into the record company. But when they shipped the records to Weon's house and they arrived, we opened the boxes, and uh, they'd made Slow Motion, which we thought was supposed to be the B side. That was on the A side, and After Midnight was on the B side. And Leon queried Kale. He said, what the hell? They messed up. They made a mistake and put slow motion on the A side. Kale said, well, he said, no, I told him to do that because, you know, the last thing you record is always your best one. And that was the last thing he had recorded (laughs) on that. Deal. So, unfortunately, uh, slow motion didn't do anything, and uh, after midnight sat on the shelf for many years till Eric Clapton heard it, recorded, made a hit out of it. Right. And so, I, I was. It was frustrating for me because I think I. Maybe 17, 18 at that time, and I couldn't play in any of the clubs in LA because he had to be 21. Most of my friends that were underage gotten fake IDs, but when I was 17, I looked like I was 14. <laughs> I just was too scared to try to pull off a fake ID. So my friend Skip was out there. He was from Tulsa and we played some together, but I decided to come back to Tulsa and move back because I wasn't getting to play out in California. And uh, so I played around after I moved back to Tulsa played for oh maybe I don't know a year or so and then Skip came and moved back to Tulsa and we were playing at a club in Tulsa when some guy came in and was kind of bugging everybody on the brakes they thought he was a narc or something but he came up to me and said, man, you guys are great. Skip and I were playing just duo, and we had a singer with us. And uh, he said, you guys really need to come to Detroit. They just go nuts over you guys. And uh, so we exchanged phone numbers. And this guy also said he was on his way to uh, California for the... Uh, presidential primary in which uh, Bobby Kennedy was running. Well, of course, we know he won the 
primary, but was assassinated that evening. So this guy that we had met called me about a week later saying he was back in Detroit. He said that his gig was over and we needed to come to Detroit. And uh, I talked Skip into it. The singer didn't want to go. But Skip and I both were able to sing or vocalize somewhat. So we uh, went to Detroit, and this guy became our manager. His name was Jim Cassily. And uh, he changed. Jim Cassidy was adamant that we needed to change our name to that Skip needed to change his name to Van Winkle. And I don't know why, but this guy thought it was a great idea. So we became Tea Garden and Van Winkle, and we wrote a bunch of songs and recorded a live album at a club in uh, Detroit and uh, seemed like when that album got pressed um, Atlantic somehow Atlantic Records signed us at that time under the ATCO label and uh, we did that and uh I don't know, we didn't sell all that many. I think we sold about 10,000 albums. And uh, we went back in the studio, or went into the studio and recorded our second album, which was called But Anyhow. And uh, on that one, we put horns and background singers and stuff on there and it didn't sell or the darn. <laughs> so Atlantic dropped us after that second album. And uh, so we went back to square one. And by then, Leon Russell had, had hooked up with Denny Cordell, who was a producer, English guy, who had had some hits with Procol Harum and had another guy named Joe Cocker and Danny Cordell got Leon to arrange and put together a big band, which they called, it was Mad Dogs and the Englishman. And their first gig, well, two nights was in Detroit and Leon invited us to come to the gig and which we did and that encouraged my partner Van Winkle into writing a gospel oriented kind of song was called God Love and Rock and Roll which we recorded very soon after and uh, and it did well we got up to number 30 in Detroit which is a heavy Motown oriented music chart and uh, and because of that got to be number one and a bunch of other 
smaller markets and uh, anyway we played a lot of shows we started headlining some shows played some shows with uh, Bob Seeger who's native to the Detroit area Detroit Ann Arbor area and he became real good close friends and we started playing together on some gigs and uh, Bob was playing guitar at that time and singing of course and but he got he grew weary of having to be the guitar player so we hired a a friend of ours from Tulsa named Mike Bruce, who's an incredible guitar player, and he joined the group, and we all played we played gigs all over the country, and uh, we finished up with uh, an album we recorded called Smokin' O.P.'s that became a, it was a Bob Seger album, although when we went in, it was supposed to be all of us, and it was all of us, but it turned out since Seeger's manager paid for the recording time, it turned out to just be a Bob Seeger album. But, uh, and it still sells a few. Uh, it's been re-released several times. And so, at that time, Seeger had tried to recruit me to be his drummer and I couldn't do it because I kind of owed Skip and I still had a contract with the local uh, record company out of Detroit called Westbound and they were kind of wanting us to do an album so we kind of did that and, and then uh I decided I'd had enough of being away from Tulsa. So I moved, Skip and I split up. He stayed in Detroit and I came back to Tulsa and hung around for a couple of years. And then Bob needed a drummer. His drummer got, was involved in a pedestrian automobile accident and was, out of the picture and so Seeger called me and asked me then if I would mind auditioning for the gig and I did and got it and that was 1977 and uh, so I did that recorded uh, three albums four albums with Seeger and then uh, then he let me go to he ended up hiring Don Brewer who played with somebody else uh, Terry Knight in the pack and Grand Funk Railroad but uh, anyway Seeger had hired a piano player on our last uh, my last tour with Seeger was uh, against the wind that was in 81 but the new higher piano players best buddy was 
Don Brewer, who was the drummer for, um, had been the drummer for Grand Funk Railroad. So anyway, I kind of got, I got <laughs> canned <laughs> 1981 tour of Against the Wind. Well, at the end of that tour, I wasn't rehired for the next tour. And so I've been here in Tulsa ever since, made occasional trips out to work with J.J. Kale. And Kale came to Tulsa. I don't know the year. I can't remember the year when we did it, but he came back to do an album called To Tulsa and Back. And we did that in my studio here. Well, I had a studio out at a farm near Tulsa. We got that done. And uh, and I did a couple of tours with Kale. And uh, then we lost Kale. And uh, I've been missing him ever since. And then later lost Skip Van Winkle. Skip had moved out to California and had quite a career out there playing clubs. And uh, so anyway, that brings us almost to the present. We recently uh, put a new studio in here in Tulsa called Tea Garden Studios. And we're staying quite busy with that. My oldest son, David Jr., plays drums. And uh, he's a hell of a drummer. And my youngest son, Matthew T. Garden, plays drums. And he's an incredible drummer. And he plays a lot around town. So that kind of brings us up to present. That's about it. Well, David, that's a great overview of your career. I want to uh, I want to bounce back to a couple of these Bob Seger albums that you're on, and kind of uh, kind of talk about some of the songs on there, and um, just kind of sure. being in the studio uh, working with those. So you mentioned Smoke and Ops, which was uh, I believe that was on Palladium, and uh, that mm-hmm. album really never took off. It never really found a market, correct? No, well, it was on the market, but it wasn't. A- I don't know. <laughs> Never found it its niche. No. And still one of my favorite albums. I've I've heard it uh, myself. It's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, then sort of your first one with uh, the Silver Bullet Band, which uh, where did that name come from? Do you remember? I have no idea. Okay. I, I they He had put the Silver Bullet Band together. Um, long after Skip and I had parted ways with him. Yeah. And uh, so, but they were uh, all pretty accomplished players. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, he'd had a hit with, I'm trying to think, his big hit was Night Moons. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of came on in the middle of the Night Moves tour. Okay. I finished out the tour. And then the next album 
he did was called Stranger in Town. Yep, and you're on I'm, that. I, I'm on some of it. Now, back when we were just buddies and hanging out, uh, I'd always recommended to him uh, if he could talk his manager into paying the bill for Bob to go to Muscle Shoals. And he finally did. And so every album from then on, he, he'd cut at least half of it, uh, you know, in Muscle Shoals using those players. So that was the case also on um, the first album I was on as Silver Bullet Band, uh, Stranger Town. So I'm not on all the songs. <laughs> I'm on some of them. Right. Because uh, he was still cutting some at uh, Muscle Shoals. So when you look at that album and you, you look at the A side, you know, there's three huge songs on that, you know. Uh, Hollywood Nights, still the same in old-time rock and roll. Uh, are you on all three of those? No, I'm on Hollywood Nights. What was the second one you named? Uh, still the same. Still the same. I'm playing on that. Yeah. But I wasn't playing on uh, old-time rock and roll. Gotcha. And uh, and then a couple of members of the Eagles, aren't they on that album doing a little bit of background vocals and stuff like that? Yeah. Uh, you know, he was real buddies. Bob was real buddies with Gwen Fry. And that was how he got to... Well, Gwen Fry <laughs> did some backups and they co-wrote maybe a song or two. And... Uh, but they were I, they weren't in the studio when we cut the tr basic tracks. It was just me and uh, Bob and the bass player Chris Campbell, and uh, so I wasn't privy to all the overdub sessions when you know all the other people <laughs> sat in or you know overdubbed their parts. Yeah, and uh, but, uh, you know. Yeah. The the other song on there that, that kind of made it big was We've Got Tonight, or Are You On That Song? You know, I can't remember. <laughs> no. I know sometimes he'd play stuff for us, but, you know, we'd be rehearsing to go on a tour, and I'd say, who's playing drums? He said, that's you. Oh, okay. Because by the time they did all the overdubs and all that stuff, you know, they didn't sound quite the same as just when we cut the basic tracks. Yeah. Well, it was hard for me to sometimes figure out if I played on them or didn't. <laughs> and then after playing the shows where you play them every night, you, know, you just kind of grow to forget who played on what on the recording. Yeah. Then after that, in 1980, um, Against the Wind came out. And, yeah. uh, of course, that had some great songs on there. And uh, what what was kind of the recording for that album and some of the writing for that uh, album? Well, I can't much – I'm not much good on helping with the writing, but because 
he came into the studio with the you know all the songs written uh but i know we did when we cut against the wind when we'd go to the studio to record or when bob would there'd be a semi-trailer full of fresh tape because <laughs> he'd record and record and record he could get three three takes of one song on one reel of tape so we'd cut three takes take a break while he'd listen back to those three takes and then we'd go back in and record three more takes of it wow. and on and on and on and we finished when we did our third take on Against the Wind I remember at the end of it, I said, well, that's it, Bob. That's the one right there. Well, we ended up doing 230 takes of it. Are you serious? No. I mean, yes, I am. <laughs> and guess which take he used? <laughs> no, like the first or second one? The third take. <laughs> oh, my word. But that was typical how he'd do it. He'd just go on and on and on. Not knowing, you know, just not being able to stop. There's, I don't know. I never could figure out what the hell he was hearing, you know, that was wrong or even most of them were always wonderful. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why he wanted to just keep going. But anyway, that's kind of how that works with a lot of artists or that way. Wow. And then, uh, of course, there's a couple other, you know, uh, songs on that album that, that made it big. The Horizontal Bop and uh, yeah, You'll Accompany Me and and some of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I don't keep track of all of them because <laughs> so, so far, I mean, in the past now. Yeah. And uh, you you did eventually get a little sort of memento for being on that uh, album in, in the form of a Grammy Award. Talk about that. Yeah. We were out on the road, and that was back in the in that time period. I don't know. They weren't glamorizing the rock acts that much at the Grammys. It was still based primarily on classical recordings and and such. So rock and roll was still kind of new, but so we were on tour and when the when the Grammys that year were given out and so I got home and it was there was a little box. My Grammy was in the box. And uh so yeah, got a Grammy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I figured I was really in. I couldn't believe that that was my last tour, that I wouldn't be asked to join back. Yeah, and uh, and and I'm sure you got your uh, your Grammy award sitting in a very proud place, right? Got it here at the studio. There you go. That's a good place for it. I'm sitting here looking at it. Oh, there you I'm go. Shelf. <laughs> Come visit our studio and get a picture with holding the Grammy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then, uh, and then, t 
talk about nine tonight uh it was recorded in in detroit and it was recorded at well, what the boston gardens right yeah yeah two concerts well i don't know i think we did well, a couple of concerts in a row in both those cities and the interesting part of that i could go on for days is kind of a sordid story but they myself and the audience were the only thing in that recording that's hadn't been redone they bob went in the studio and recut each instrument on all the songs on that album and i'm the only one they didn't redo it's unbelievable. I, my head swelled when he made that announcement <laughs> to everybody. Tea Garden and the audience are the only ones we didn't have to redo. And I thought, well, I'm really him. And uh, there I was <laughs> being, I was being fired <laughs> at that time. Uh, the piano player got his drummer buddy on. Yeah. So was but that... I think part of it might have been that I wasn't from Detroit. And when we weren't working in the Silver Bullet Band, I was always back home in Tulsa on our days off. So, but that's the only thing I can figure. But Don Brewer is a good drummer for sure. But it was, I know it took, I heard stories that took, forever before they were able to do uh, before Bob would do Hollywood Nights <laughs> in person oh, with uh, with that... the drum work and stuff like that yeah because those are actually two drum parts but oh it is so how how yeah. did you record that did you just kind well, of loop it back or something me and Bob and Chris the bass player cut the song, recorded it, and we were in there listening to it. I had, I said, hey, I got an idea. And they all looked at me funny, and I said, play a little bit of it. Let me try this other thing, this idea I've got. And they played it back, and I did this little drum, extra drum part. And they thought, oh, yeah, that's great. So we did it. <laughs> and when we were start were rehearsing to do it on the show, everybody was laughing. Now Tea Garden, how are you gonna pull this off? But it was uh, the extra drum part was, you know, it was part of the deal. <laughs> it wasn't a big deal, <laughs> it, but it made it look like it was almost next to impossible to pull off. But it wasn't, it wasn't hard at all. But it kind of left a mark on there because all the other, the other German was scared to try it. You know, trying to do, he didn't know what the drum part I was playing was. Anyway, finally, they did, they started doing it eight or ten years later. <laughs> 
but uh, anyway, that's kind of how that works. And um, and then that kind of rounds up your your first sort of major encounter with Bob Seger until uh, Fire Inside came out. I want to say it was nineteen ninety four. And uh, you played a little bit on that album. How'd you get reconnected with uh, with Bob Seger after your uh, over a decade gap? Well, that was interesting. Uh, he happened to play in Tulsa and came out to a club I was playing. And I think that I just, I don't know if, I don't know what happened, but he called me up to come back up to Detroit and, and do a little work with him, and I did. And I was kind of thinking, well, maybe he wants me back on the road with him, but never got the offer. So I don't know what happened. Found somebody better, <laughs> evidently. And uh, I don't remember too much about the, the recording that we did. wasn't anything mind-blowing. It was just, it was just something. Uh huh. It was just kind of a, a little something. Yeah. <laughs> and it was fun to get to work with him again. Yeah. And uh, I liked working with him, except it being so frustrating that he just couldn't stop you know he just keep trying to perfect something i don't know it kind know. of uh kind of sounds like he was a uh, perfectionist over the top ocd <laughs> but i remember kale and i talking about it and he said he He'd learned after a while that you got to stop somewhere and devote that energy to the next project, <laughs> and uh, which I thought was pretty good way to put it. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I've been blessed with a wonderful career, and it's not over yet. Cause yeah. We're still. I don't play much anymore, but we uh just trying to keep the studio going. Well which has been interesting. We get a lot of work. Oh yeah. Well, a couple other uh albums of note that, that you're on is uh The Road to Escondido, which is that uh Eric Clapton and J. J. Kale album. What's kind of the yeah. background of that? How'd that album come to be? <laughs> Well, after we did uh, to Tulsa and back, um, which I didn't play drums on any of that, it was at my studio, and though I did some engineering and uh, called all the players that he had a list. But anyway, when that album was finished and he was doing some touring he asked me to go out with him he already had a, two drummers and uh, so he said he wanted me to kind of set at the PA mixing console 
So I agreed it was one of the most frustrating tours I ever did because I wasn't able to fly. Uh, and uh, and uh, but one gig on that first one, the early part of that tour was at the Crossroads Festival, and uh, Clapton was all over him. In fact, played on Cale's entire set that he played, and after the concert, Cale told me, he said, well, Eric's bugging me to do an album together. He said, what do you think? I said, yeah, I think you better do it. So he told uh, Eric he would do it. We finally, then Cale called me before we went in the studio and asked me to come hang out, which I did. And uh, he apologized later. He didn't give me a production, co-production credit on it. But it's okay. I played Shakers on it. And I got to meet, well, I met, officially met Eric and, and uh, officially got to meet a ton of people that were on that album. Billy Preston was that was his last out recording session. And he was always a big idol to me. And anyway, so that well, was that. And um, then later on, when Kale passed, uh, Eric asked me and a bunch of Tulsa guys come to LA and, you know, Eric did the tribute album um, concerning Kales. And uh, that was quite interesting. I really grew to love Eric and respect his, his deal. He was so such a sincere and wonderful person when well, he still is. <laughs> I guess I haven't talked to him in a number of years. So anyway, I've had quite a career and it ain't over yet. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Well, you know, you've you've mentioned these these Tulsa players several times and, and going out to California. Uh, I mean, outside of, like, Leon Russell and, and you, who were some of the other Tulsans in, in California at the same time you were there? Well, uh, at that time, it was uh, Chuck Blackwell and, uh, oh, gosh, <laughs> I don't know who else, Some bunch of other people. Everybody's dead now. The people like Larry Bell, the keyboard player from Tulsa, who was the one that actually introduced me to Leon, and 
God, I'm just going to, I'm afraid I'm going to miss somebody. But there was Gary Sanders, who was a German with Kale for a long time. Gary Gilmore, who's a bass player with uh, Kale. And, uh, gosh, I'm going to forget somebody or five or six people. <laughs> Junior Markham, who was a towel supplier for many, many years. And, uh, gosh, I don't know. Walt Richmond, piano player from Tulsa, one of my most favorite piano players. <laughs> and uh, so it was just a lot of people out there from Tulsa. Was, uh, let me ask you this. I mean, I know he's, you know, outside of, you know, the sort of Tulsa scene, but, you know, he's considered sort of a major player out there from Oklahoma. Jesse Ed Davis was, uh, do you remember running into him out there? Oh, I sure do. I used to have to run him out of, uh, Skip and I, after I lived at Leon's for about nine, ten months, um, my friend Skip was from Tulsa. He moved out there. And he and I and Larry Bell had an apartment, and Jesse Ed had come over every day, every evening, and pass out on our couch. I have to run him off so we could go to bed. <laughs> uh, I loved him. He's an incredible guitar player. Yeah, and a lot of people really uh, have no idea of his history. I mean, you know, you think about Dr. My Eyes with Jackson Brown. He did that guitar solo in one take you know yeah yeah and uh and all that stuff with Taj Mahal exactly and incredible uh, oh yeah and uh I mean did did Jesse ever sit in with any any gigs or stuff with with you or in California or anything like that uh no but he'd come over to Leon's house all the time to kind of hang out oh yeah yeah. So who who and, all was uh, was living in in the house at that time? Well, uh, Jimmy Carstein was a drummer. Had, he had moved out, and I I moved into like, it was a large closet that he'd converted to a bedroom, <laughs> and uh, so I I was living in Carstein's closet. Markham was living there at Leon's house and Chuck Blackwell. And uh, that was kind of about it at that time. Everybody in, from Tulsa had, at some point in time <laughs> back then had lived at Leon's for a while. But... Uh, and Kale was staying at a motel <laughs> down, the, down the street, paying a weekly rate yeah. while he was writing songs. But Leon, Leon just gave him kind of free time in his studio. So I don't know. That was kind of about it at that time. Yeah. Well, you've uh, you've mentioned several uh, players at Leon's house that are mentioned in uh, a song called "Shootout on the Plantation." Yeah, 
Yes. What do you know about that son and that story? You know that I don't know enough about it. I, Gary Sanders, who was a drummer for Kale uh, originally, or when Kale moved out there, he had a house that was another part of the city, or North Hollywood, and uh, that they called it the plantation. There were a bunch of people living there. And I think Markham got in a, I don't know, they got in a scaffold. I never did know their, what their original story was, but it made a good song <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah. uh, but I always heard there was a gun involved. And I don't know, Gary Sanders is long past. Now Markham's passed, and so I don't know if we'll ever get to the original or find out what the real story was. Yeah, it'd be kind of fun to figure it out. Yeah, (laughs) that'll go on forever, probably. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to talk about uh, your studio just a little bit. Well, technically studios, I guess. You you had your original one in uh, no, Beggs, no. right? No, I sold it. I sold the farm that was on a farm. Okay. And I sold that to my son, my second oldest son, okay. Jesse, his wife, Jenny Sue, and my grandson live out there. And, uh, but we're, the studio we're in here is just a block away from the church studio, (laughs) which they'll be firing that up here pretty quick. I think they're talking about, they were talking about this fall, but it's going to be a while. They still got a few months. Yeah. Well, they don't have that going. But, uh, back when, when Kale was in town doing working on to Tulsa and back, uh-huh. I had put up the farm for sale with the thought that I'd move into Tulsa. And uh, I showed Kale this building where we are now. I said, Here's what I'm looking at. And he said, Oh, that's great. I think you need to get that. I said, Well, if I can get the farm sold, I will. <laughs> but. I couldn't ever get the farm sold. Nobody wanted, it was almost a hundred acres and, uh, nobody, uh, nobody wanted that much property and the house was a little bitty house. And, uh, anyway, I could, I had to end up selling, I sold 14 acres here and, uh, seven acres here and this that and i'd pay off the credit cards or pay off the car <laughs> you know and uh my son bought the original 25 acres which had the house and the studio but when kale finished up his recording i said well i need to admit a bill and he's got me doing he said by the way did you buy that building? I said, no, I haven't been able to afford to buy the building because I can't sell, get the farm sold. And 
he sent when I sent him the bill for the recording, he sent a check for that, and he sent a check for me to buy the building. Wow. So he bought this building for me, <laughs> and uh, which was amazing. But I still couldn't even build out the building until I had the last bit of acreage I had out there was 47 and a half acres. That had been on the market for seven years or longer before I finally got a call from a realtor saying, I got somebody who wants to buy the 47 acres. Then uh, we got on it with the studio and started doing the build-out. And we we're about two and a half years into it that we've been in operating. We've had the studio open. And uh, we like it, but we're still always doing it's like when you own a house, you always got things you want to more things you need to do and improve on. Yeah. So so give us an idea of some of the people that you've recorded over the years. Oh, I, I don't know how to, where to begin. I was just looking, saw an ad on TV the other night with Pat Boone. Uh, but Kale and I recorded Pat Boone out at Leon's place when I was living there, Sky Hill Mission. And uh, I remember Kale doing a session for somebody. I don't remember who it was for, but had all the Hollywood heavies, Hal Blaine played drums. And uh, uh, I'm trying to think, all the Hollywood, what they, he had a, they were, God, I can't remember what the term for him was, but Glenn Campbell was playing guitar and Larry Nectel, I think, played bass or piano. So, I mean, you know, now in our studio, we've got just some local folks, Seth Lee Jones, and uh, I can't name everybody. My engineer, if he was here, he could tell you who <laughs> always been in here. But uh, we haven't had any famous people yet. In here, mainly it's local folks, and um, I don't know, just lots of folks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I've I've got some of the CDs you've done there. You know, Glenn R. Townsend and Steve Pryor. Yeah, at the farm, and... yeah, at the farm studio, we did Steve, a lot of Steve Pryor and him. I think who else? Never anybody was anybody in Tulsa. Uh, Bill Davis, and and of course mm -hmm. you've worked with with Bill um, on several things over the years. In fact, one of them uh, recently made its way to YouTube. It's a uh, Rockin' John Henry Blues show with you yeah. and Bill Davis. I don't know if you've seen that one yet yeah. or not, but no. I was there, but I don't remember much of it. Um, yeah, I did two albums, two Bill Davis albums. 
which never really got out there. I could never find because a lot of his stuff was cover songs. Yeah. But um, I know he and Walt Richmond wrote a bunch of songs, and I think I cut two or three of those. But I didn't go any further with it. We're getting ready to start on some of that stuff. That's on the list, yeah. the to-do list. <laughs> Hopefully we can get that going this year. Yeah. Or probably next year, I imagine. So, I mean, when you're thinking about, you know, Tulsa and, you know, your connections and, and the part that you've played in it, when you hear the Tulsa sound, which uh, is, you know, kind of this general term talked about this unique sort of sound of of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that kind of part of the country, what what is that yeah. sound, you know? What what defines it? What What makes it what it is? Well, it's the same that everybody comes up with. It's very nondescriptive in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, I always equate it with Kale and Leon and Larry Bell and Markham and those people, which had their own uniqueness. Each one had a kind of a unique trait about them. But... uh, you know, in the scheme of things, they probably sound like everybody else. I don't know. It's just, I remember, you know, going in various different clubs and, and recognizing that everybody's styles that they were kind of identified with. But, uh, I, as far as the Tulsa sound, you'd have to include all those names and have them all playing. <laughs> That'd be the Tulsa sound. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, so many of them are, are leaving us. Oh, yeah. You know. I know. Jamie Aldecker, you know, just recently. Yeah. and Yeah. It's, it's kind of sad if you think about it. That's why I try not to think about it too much. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> when I do, I keep, I keep thinking, God, me and Karstein are about it. <laughs> no one's left. Yeah. Well. But there's, uh, there are more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so if you think about, you know, all of this stuff and that you've been a part of and you know, I'm sure you're going out to the mailbox and, and still getting a check. Oh, every now and then. <laughs> yeah. But uh, how can folks... But they're not selling many albums anymore. So. Yeah, I know. It's all the uh, the YouTube and Spotify and... Yeah, and you don't... You can't make, can't make anything off that. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I've, I've seen some of them charts out there online, you know. It's crazy. It is. So, I mean, outside of, you know, probably finding some CDs out there. I know Tea Garden and Van Winkle, they got a couple of CDs out there still. And on the, Well, not really. They never, none, none of those were ever put on CD. I made a mistake because uh, I had collected uh, 
Teagarden and Van Winkle or albums that I've been on. Yeah. For my for my kids, I've got four kids, so I did all that, and then I caught on. I thought, oh my God, those kids don't have none of the kids had turntables. They wouldn't even have any way to play them. That was before the vinyl thing came back. And uh, so I got the turntable out and put them all on CDs. And some guy bought all of them I had. And then he's releasing them, but they weren't actually, they weren't done right. And uh, so those are still floating around somewhere. <laughs> but actually, technically, none of them were ever put on CD, the the Tea Garden and Van Winkle catalog. Yeah. All right, Dave, it's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, thanks for thanks for your well, willingness thank you. to come on here. Well, I'm sorry it took us so long to get it together. My my fault. Uh, don't worry about <laughs> I it. I apologize. Oh, don't worry about it. At least we got it done. All right, brother. You have a good one. Well, there you have it, everybody. That is my interview with drummer David Teagarden. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and be sure to check out some of my previous episodes on LV's Music Corner. Until next time, be humble and don't stumble. I'm Logan, and you are listening to LV's Music Corner.